0: Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Dismal.
2: Dismal, Dave. I've I've been working hard for the last week. No no days off at all that you normally shout at me for, for disappearing and all the rest of it. And then today I'm off and I'm not feeling very well. So what's that about?
0: That's not ideal at all. That's all them holidays you've had this year, just catching up on you, you see. You're not used to being in the UK for so long. Nice. That's, that's, my, nice. that's my guess anyway. So, um, Todd Bowley has put out into the ether the idea of an all-star game, all-star weekend type of thing. I think it's a good idea. I think you could do a women's all-star game on a Saturday, a men's on a Sunday. You could do fun things like free kick competitions, skill competitions, passing competitions, whatever, and make a whole weekend of it. Make, you know, do meet and greets with players and fans and whatever. And I think you could put it in other countries so that it can help you continue to grow the Premier League. It's obviously been shot down very quickly by the likes of Gary Neville, who has a very big B in his bonnet about American ownership in football, which is quite interesting considering he never had a bad word to say about American owners until his paycheck at Sky was threatened. Um, Mr. England, Henry Winter, also uh, coming out against it because, you know, it's it's not the way we do things here. But what are your thoughts on the matter?
2: It has merit in interest, I think. Um, I don't expect that this will happen in the slightest. I can only envisage what conversation would go like when you go up to, let's say, Daniel Levy and say, we want to borrow a couple of your players for a weekend with no benefit to Tottenham whatsoever. Um, I don't imagine that that would be a particularly long conversation. And I think there are plenty of other owners who would be similar and certainly managers who would be similar. Klopp has obviously had himself a bit of a chuckle about it as well. Um, I I think that there's potential for something. It doesn't have to be the all-star idea exactly, but something different into the English game, I think is not a a bad thing in the slightest, to be honest. I mean, made the point of the... uh, Community Shield could be either replaced or, or reshaped at the very least. We've spoken for years and years and years about getting rid of the League Cup, for example. Um, so at the moment, it's not feasible. There's no room. There's no even room to play our own games at the minute, as, as uh, I think teams are going to find a problem with in the coming weeks and months. But uh, I don't imagine that this will take place too quickly. Or Really, I think what Bowley was probably wanting to do was just start the conversation. bring forth ideas, maybe... People talking about his way of doing things and the different way that he might start to, let's say, seize a bit of power or initiative in the Premier League. All those kind of things that new owners try to do. He's just doing it a bit more outspokenly, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Todd Bowley has thus far come across as a bit of a clown. um, In most of his dealings at Chelsea, the way they carried on in the summer, uh, their approach to transfers some of the rumors that came out of Chelsea about things he was suggesting, um, including in reports after the sacking of Thomas Tuchel, which remains one of the more bizarre things that's happened in the Premier League in the last few years. And people people want to laugh and point at the American because it, there is there is a snobbishness in the UK towards Americans where they just don't think they understand Football And certainly there's a portion of the Americans that don't, but a lot do. And Todd Bowley, as an owner of a Premier League club, or the front of an ownership group of a Premier League club, is as entitled as anybody else to say whatever it is he wants to say. And what was lost in the shuffle was that his view on it was, let's do this All-Star game and let's give all the money to the football pyramid. You know, let's let's make this game meaningful to the rest of the, the football pyramid. I think you could replace the Community Shield because I don't think anyone cares about the Community Shield. I don't think the owners or the managers would have a, a, a leg to stand on because I think most of the players would absolutely be in favour. Romelu Lukaku, when he was at United, he spoke about this idea as well. And a number of players replied in his Twitter mention saying that they thought it was a good idea too. So, you know, why not? Like, there's, there's, I get the idea that there's no room in the calendar. There is if we just replace the Community Shield with a full weekend celebrating the game. And that's what it's about. Like, people say, oh, the game won't be any good because the players won't be used to playing together. If you put the 22 best players in the Premier League on one pitch, the game is going to be good. It's not going to be a bad game of football. It'll be a fun game. And the idea of players getting injured, we're not talking about blood and thunder tackles here. We're not talking about Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira going head-to-head in the middle of the park. We're talking about a game played as an exhibition where you'll get players trying crazy tricks and dribbles and passes and stuff, and just showing the length and breadth of their talent. That's what it's about. You watch an NBA All-Star game, no one plays any, any defense. No one bothers with it. Until maybe the last two, three minutes of the game, it's a free-for-all. And the Pro Bowl is often the same in American football. The Major League Baseball All-Star weekend is is tremendous. They, they do these things really well. It's not just about the calibre of the game, it's about how much fun the game is and how much of a spectacle the whole weekend is. All those players coming together. It's also a great opportunity for players who have ambitions outside of football to enter the business world after their playing career is over, to make contacts and to network. And these things are important to a lot of players as well. I think we'll see more and more of that when you see In the NBA, you see LeBron James recently um, became a billionaire. Kevin Durant is on his way. Michael Jordan, obviously, is a billionaire. Kobe Bryant was on his way. And the reason for this is that they've been able to network very successfully. And a big part of that, which all of them have spoken about, is the opportunities at the All-Star Game to mingle with certain people from the world of business. And I do think in time... We will see more and more footballers go that way as well when their playing career ends rather than going into coaching where most of them aren't suited to be or punditry where most of them are just far too mind-numbingly dull to listen to. They will head into the world of business and this can be a springboard for them. Have all the owners there as well. All the owners have business interests. They'll all be inviting contacts as well. So it could be a great growth opportunity for many players. But we have been set by uh, by Gordon uh Challenier. I think is the pronunciation of the surname. If not, I do apologize. He is one of our subscribers and regular listeners. He wants us to put together our all-star teams. One for the North, one for the South. So let's start with the North, because I think this one's going to be easier, Carl. Because being honest... I thought 10 of these uh, positions picked themselves.
2: I imagine we overlap an awful lot on the North one. Um, I went for one, which maybe isn't, but I've gone for like, in terms of an all-star team, I've gone for like what the players have done over the last few years, not just where they are right at this moment in time. Uh, So, I imagine that, yes, there is one in particular position, which, in fact, I'm going to say right now is the uh, left side of the front three. Uh, I reckon that's the one where maybe we'll differ, but I've also put one in defence, which is probably not where you've gone, but just based on what they've done previously.
0: Yeah, so, let's start off. I've got Alisson in goal. Who's your goalkeeper?
2: Same.
0: Same, right. I've gone... Trent and Jao Canseo as my full-backs. I think they're the two best fullbacks, probably in the world right now. By a distance,
2: uh, the easiest picks in the Premier League are those two, if you're picking, again, based on what has uh, been the case over the last few years, what we've come to expect of them, how they define their team's performances, their importance in both halves of the pitch. It's a, a fairly routine double pick there, I think.
0: Okay. I think Van Dijk is an obvious one. I think he's by far the best centre back in the league, so I've got him. But I put it to you that the other centre back position is one where there are at least three, possibly four options. Now I've got for i for possibilities in this role: Ruben Diaz, Joel Matip. Rafael Varane and I would consider Ibu Kanate if he was playing regularly because I think he might be the best of the four but with him not playing regularly I've limited to the other three but give me your centre backs first.
2: So Van Dijk is obviously um, my left-sided one and yeah I think Kanate would be if in this... Um, Parallel Universe, where a regular All-Star game is a thing. I think Canate would probably be someone spoken about for maybe two All-Star games down the line, something like that. Uh, He's he's probably not there in terms of what the other ones have have done and achieved so far. Uh, But yes, I've gone for Varane, one of the ones that you've picked out there of that crop, uh, I think, based on obviously his time at Real Madrid more than anything else, is is one of the standouts in European football in terms of centre-backs over the last decade, more or less, really. So, I don't think that there would be too much uh, argument against him being picked. And also, it stops it being a, a two team team, doesn't it?
0: Yes. Yes, it does. It does. And, like, in terms of name recognition, he's obviously alongside Virgil. They're the two most well known centre backs from the north. Obviously, there's a couple in the south that we can talk about when we get there. But those two are the standouts. And even though. I don't think he's of the calibre that he was four years ago. I think he has had a drop-off carrying Sergio Ramos for years. Definitely wore him down a bit. I do think he is the right choice for what you said as well about not just having it as a two-team uh, combination. So I'm happy to go for Varane. However, I will say you said Ibu hasn't done what they've done in the game. Not one of them has been the best centre-back in a Champions League final. Not Joel... Not Diaz, not Varane. Ibu has been the best centre-back in a Champions League final, so I'll give him that bit of credit there. But I will go Varane as well. I think that is a fair pick. In midfield, I think we're probably going to overlap because I don't really think there's much cause to pick anybody outside of Kevin De Bruyne, Rodri and Thiago. Yeah, uh, even
2: Guy put the same three there in the middle. I mean, Fabinho is probably the one you can put up against Rodri. Um, I think the other two are quite comfortably clear, to be honest. Mm. I
1: wouldn't
0: have any complaints at that. The only other name I would throw out, but he's not of the same level as Rodri yet, but I think will is it might be a better all-round footballer, is Bruno Gomeric, who I think if you're doing a 22-man squad, Bruno Gomeric would be in that squad and would probably get, you know, 45 minutes in the game if you just changed everything at halftime or whatever. So I do think Bruno would be worth doing. And I'd also say as well, if you're doing an all-star game, I do the subs the way you can do them in basketball where players can come on and off. So you play 10 minutes, you come off, you go back on, come off, and just, you know, treat it as what it is. It's a showcase, not a competitive game. So we're aligned on the midfield. I think we'll be aligned on two of the front three. Um, we've got Salah on the right wing and Haaland through the middle. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier left wing was one where you thought you might have gone in a different direction. to I me. Mean, Guy has picked the same player I'd have picked in Phil Foden, but I am open to being swayed on that one.
2: Well, I've actually got Foden as well. I thought that might oh. be the one where we uh, where we differed a little bit because I do think there are different options there. Obviously, Diaz is one of them, and yeah, I suppose people like Sancho as well. If if uh, we look at his time in Dortmund, certainly um, he can be another option there. But
0: I and, and there certainly be like there would certainly be um, people that would push for Jack Grealish, even though I don't think he's. I don't think he's as good as Foden. He's certainly a star name, and he's certainly the type of player whose game is well suited to an all-star game type showcase. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan, but I, I do see the merits in a Jack Grealish in a, a in a, an all-star type set, setting.
2: The one other name I would put which would definitely be included if it was been done this year. Um, But certainly for the first All-Star game anyway, for that left-hand side, you'd probably say Cristiano Ronaldo.
0: Yeah, if it was put to a fan vote, he would be the leading vote-getter because his weird stands would vote en masse for him. Name recognition, you you would have to include him in the squad regardless, just for name recognition, because he will automatically bring a big viewing audience because that's just the, the power of his brand. Uh, I don't think from a footballing standpoint there's any real argument to put him in unless you wanted him as the backup to Haaland you know as your backup number 9 from the north maybe you go with him um at the, at this point in time um Bernardo Silva obviously would get a squad position he he wouldn't be a starter for me but he'd be your backup to KDB I think that would be that would be fair and like you said Fabinho would be in the group, I think Ilkay Gundigans probably in the group as well. Uh, but it is largely a city Liverpool dominated um north where you get Allison, Trent, Virgil, Tiago, and Mo. So you get five from Liverpool. You get Haaland, you get Foden, Rodri, KDB, and Canseo from City, so five from them as well. And then Rafa Varan as your united um inclusion a token gesture to the once great club um so yeah we're pretty i think we we've we've actually picked the exact same 11 for the north um so that's fine and guy has picked basically the same team except he went diaz over Um, over Varane. So he went six City players, which I think indicates the guy is a Closet Man City fan. Let's move on to the South before he has time to respond. Um, Oh, and he's right there in the bottom. Alan saint Maximum would have to be included just because it would be great fun to watch him play in that type of game. Imagine the pointless stepovers if it didn't really matter. I think there's a few players of that ilk who would
2: be... It would make it a bigger spectacle as well. I think that that's fair to say. I mean, even if you think like back to last season, we had Rafinha in it. He'd be another one who you'd want in the group. Yes. uh, If if it was that kind of environment where you can just play and just show how good you are. And even people, to be honest, then like, assuming he was fit for the day, Anthony Martial, someone like that. Someone who actually doesn't really do that much in the end, but skill-wise, technique-wise, speed-wise can be quite exciting there'd be a few of them who would get in to be honest and have a, a decent 20 minute outing
0: yeah I think so I think so I mean you could pick you could pick 33 players yeah you'd go and i and squad, I'd say you know and play it and and just make it a proper showcase and I think it the, the more players you include the more likely the players are to buy in because you know it's it's a big opportunity for all of them and an acknowledgement of their of their standing Let's do the south, and I think we will have some differences here. I I think because I don't think it's as clear in the south, and there's probably a couple more clubs because there's not really a standout team in the south the way there's a Liverpool and a City. Um, There's kind of the in the in the south you've got Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, and West Ham, maybe, and they're probably four of the five teams that come after the top two. Uh, with United being the other one. So I'll let you start. Who's your goalkeeper?
2: Uh, so uh, along the same lines as what I was saying before of you know what they've done and their standing in the game and overall, I've actually gone for Hugo Lloris. I think uh, World Cup winning captain is a pretty good one to have as a starting point.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a good shout. Um, and I think his, his style of play is certainly suited because he's a... Good distributor from the back and like you said he is the, the biggest name of any of the southern goalkeepers I, I've gone Mendy because I think he's probably the best though I'm not a big Mendy fan I, I think he is quite error prone Um, he's but not. I looked around I couldn't really find a goalkeeper that I really liked. Ariola was probably the closest one but given he's not first choice at West Ham I I was kind of hesitant to put him in yeah, there's a lot of, um,
2: ooh, if we're being kind, we'd say potential. And if we're being truthful, we'd say average goalkeepers in this uh, this half of the country, I think. And uh, you mentioned beforehand there was a fan vote, apparently, which picked Aaron Ramsdale at the top. Good.
0: Yeah, good I mean, good. absolute nonsense. If you want your Southern team to get walloped, um, you pick Aaron Ramsdale. Right, what, what uh, formation have you gone for? For your southern team? 4-2-3-1, uh, more or less. There's a good point by Guy. If you were to just draw a line across the country to separate north and south, Aston Villa might fall into the south. If you did the 10 most northerly teams, 10, no, I don't know. could. Uh, you could... Yeah, you 10, could 10. You could flex it to try and get Emmy Martinez as the southern goalkeeper, but we'll just stick with what we've got. You've got Larice, I've got Mendy. And sorry, what shape did you say you've put in? A four two three one, pretty much. 4-2-3-1. Who are your fullbacks then?
2: Uh, a Chelsea duo at the moment, actually. Uh, Reese yeah. James is in, and um, you can take your pick of the other one on the other side. Because I changed it about three times. Ended up on Kukurea before we started, and uh, I don't care if you change it.
0: No, I've got the same two. I've got the same two. I, I think they're comfortably the two best. I, I, look, I really like Tommy Asu. I really like Kieran Tierney. But I do think they're the two best fullbacks. What about centre-back then? Because there's a few candidates here. Uh I think Romero's an automatic. I, I will say that. but And I think you'll probably have him because you're a even a bigger fan than I am. So have you got Romero plus one? And who is the one?
2: I do and it's Koulibaly. Um I think going back to what we've said about you know the names and what they've done and all the rest of it and who you would have in an extended squad. Thiago Silva would definitely be in. You know, he's played for biggest sides and captain Brazil and all the rest of it. But the star quality and performances over the last few years, I don't think you would ignore Koulibaly at all.
0: No, I I, I wouldn't really be given all that much consideration to Thiago Silva just based on performance. Um, it's you know, when your team has to sacrifice in other areas just to hide you, I don't think you can really warrant this because we're not hiding anybody in this game. You're going to get left defending massive open spaces, and it would end up being quite embarrassing watching him trying to deal with Haaland one on one. So, yeah, I would say Koulibaly is is the second one. Um, so, we've got the same defense then. We've got James, Romero, Koulibaly, and Cucurella. In midfield, then, you've gone for a double pivot. Who are your double pivots?
2: I have N'Golo Kante. Um, pretty much a, a widely popular choice with everybody, You know, up until when you play Chelsea anyway. Um, again, member of World Cup winning team and all the rest of it, and a big title winner uh, more than once in, in the Premier League. And I've actually gone with Rodrigo Bentancur uh, alongside him for a bit more of a defensive presence, because I think he's one of the better defensive mids in the Premier League. I'm not sure he quite fits into the the name's
0: profile, but whatever. So just give me the first one again. Kante. Kante, of course, of course. So you've got Kante and Benton So I went a little bit different here. Um, I've gone 4-3-3, I should point that out. And I've got three in midfield because I wanted... But I wanted a midfielder that I liked. So I've gone Kovacic because I do think he's the best midfielder at any of the Southern clubs. I think he's sensational. We've talked about him for years, and I'm going to write a letter to him now tell him that you didn't pick him, and you'll be officially out as the president of the fan club, and I'll be in. Um, I picked Declan Rice because I wanted a bit of West Ham. Recognition and a bit of West Ham representation in the team. Uh, and I think he does warrant a, a spot because he's obviously very, very good. And this is my doff of the cap to a smaller club. And it is, in a way, based largely on form, but also just a player that I've liked for a long time. I've gone Alexis McAllister as my third midfielder. Cause I, I just love watching the fella play. And it, it was actually kind of come down to, do I want Alexis or do I want Odegaard kind of to have a bit more of a, a passer in midfield? And I just think Alexis as an all round player, I think he's got more to his game. Like I could see, I could see Man City in the summer going to get Alexis to be their Ilke Gundogan successor. And I think he'd step up into that role and do very well. So I've got Alexis, I've got Kovacic, Rice, and Alexis as my midfield. And I'm, I'm quite happy with it, to be totally honest.
2: Yeah, I think actually here and Rice would probably be in above Bentonko, to be honest, for, for many reasons. He's probably not a huge gap between them in terms of defensive midfield ability anyway. Um, and if it's the English all-star game, Rice is going to be in, isn't he? Let's, let's face it. So that's probably a better pick. I'll swap mine in now.
0: Right. So, that leaves us with an attack. You've got four attackers, a three and a one. I've got three. Um, I'm assuming Harry Kane is your number nine. He is my number nine. I've cheated and put him as my ten. Oh! Oh! Quite the curveball. Yeah.
2: That's, that's the only reason Kovacic isn't in. So, there you go.
0: So you've got Kane as your ten. I'm 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 completely baffled <laughs> as to who your nine's gonna be. <laughs> it's it's the
2: uh title winner and favourite of the month, Gabriel
0: Jesus. Okay, okay, okay. I, I can see it, I can see it. I think he's a he's a he's obviously a very enjoyable player to watch. I wouldn't include him on the basis that I'm always worried he's going to burst out crying because he has that perma-cry face, <laughs> and that would just spoil the whole mood of the weekend. Yeah, he's a bit like um, Robert Pires in that way, isn't he?
1: Yeah. <laughs> always
0: had a face which is on the verge of
2: being in tears.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, when Robert, whenever Robert Pires was actually injured, you didn't know he was actually injured because he just looked equally as sad as he had five minutes previously. Um. Right, so wingers then. I've gone I've gone Raheem Sterling and I've gone Youngman Son. And I've gone Son and Bukayo Saka. Yeah, Saka I'm tempted to put Saka at left back in mind because I do want him in the team. I I love watching Bukayo Saka play and as you've pointed out before, like if we could get our hands on him, his versatility alone would be incredible to add to the squad. I'm actually going to just, I'm going to drop Kukureya out and I'm going to put Pakaio Saka at a right back. So I'll go Reese James right back and Saka left back. And, um, but I I want, I want Sterling and son. I do want Sterling and son. I think Raheem has had, a you know, probably a couple of two down years, but they were still good. But I think before that you could make a real argument for like three, four years. He was one of the best players in the league. He was footballer of the year, one of the years, though he didn't deserve it. It was the year Virgil won the other one, and Virgil should have had a clean sweep. But I thought Raheem, for probably two to three years, was a top five player in the league. And I think he warrants being in there. And also, like he is a big name. Though, I will point out to, uh, to the organisation that once employed both of us, uh, Bleacher report, stop lying that Raheem Sterling is the first English player to score... For three English clubs in the Champions League. He did not score for Liverpool in the Champions League. He just didn't. It never happened. You've imagined it. He scored for City. And now he scored for Chelsea. So let's recap those teams. I've got Mendy, James, Romero, Koulibaly, Saka, Kovacic, Rice, and Alexis McAllister. And then Sterling, Kane, and Son. That is my sudden team. And yours is...
2: A racing goal. James Romero, Coulibaly, Kukurea, and Kante, double pivot. Saka, Kane, and Son,
0: and Jesus up front. I think we can be very, very happy with that game. Okay. I think we, I think okay. we can be, can be happy, right? So the next question then is, hmm. who are the managers? Because one of the things you do in an All Star game is you pick two coaches. Normally they're picked by who has the best record in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Obviously, we're not going to do that. Um, I the answer. I have the answer. Right. What we're going to do here is not
2: only add to the um, spectacle of the event, but we're also going to solve the um, energy crisis engulfing most of the UK population. And we're going to put Pep as the manager of the North and Mikel Arteta as the manager of the South. And it's going to be like looking into a slightly distorted mirror if you sit right in the middle of them. But we're also going to hook both of them up To an electrical grid, which converts their movements and gesticulations and furious pointing with slightly bent knees. And tantrums. Yes, exactly that. Into electrical current, which goes straight into the grid and straight out to
0: everybody's houses for free. I like that. I like that. I did think there was a way to do that if we made Conte the southern manager and Klopp the northern manager... Because there's lots and lots of energy with those two, or maybe, maybe Klopp, given what he said, wouldn't be keen on being the manager. So maybe we just sub in Thomas Tuchel, and just say, look, it doesn't matter if you're not working. You you come here. It's the South has betrayed you, Thomas. You're more of a Northern man, anyway. So you come and you take this team, and um, we get we get Tuchel versus Conte part two. Let's be real, though. You're not having Mikel Arteta, surely, as your actual manager of the Southern team. No, it'd be Conte, wouldn't it, if we go yeah, by names that, themselves? That's, okay. <laughs> that's okay. And, and, and ability as a manager. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there'd be good options. I, I would be kind of fun to see say, Pep as the manager with Klopp as his assistant, or vice versa. Have them team up together. Take the bromance to the next level. Uh, I'm not sure we'd get much of the same type of harmony in the South, though... Graham Potter might be a, a subservient enough sort of number two for someone. That's a, not a bad shout. That's not a bad shout. Graham Potter to Conte, I think, would work. I don't think Graham Potter to Arteta would work because Graham Potter's a better manager than Arteta. Um, would, would also probably be um
2: Graham Potter's biggest match at the moment in his career. So... Is that
0: yes, yes? Um, oh well, he's you know he's on the way to being sacked at Chelsea. So, yeah, made not saying.
2: It. Guy has made the point that the uh, the the managers should be legends of the game of yesteryear, yeah. and has suggested Sam Allardyce for the North and Harry Redknapp for the
1: South. <laughs>
2: My feeling is that these two would be more likely to be picked for like the. Uh, we say the community bosses, so they're out in the street talking to people and answering for the cameras all the questions about
0: what's going to yeah. happen in
2: the game. That's that's their role these days, I'm afraid.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh, Sam is doing a meet and greet at his local pub where he's having a Sunday roast on a Tuesday. And Harry is, I don't know, hanging around. It's at a car dealership looking for a window that he can hang out of. Um, the, the Legends thing, though, I do actually like that. So would we just say Ferguson and Wenger? Oh yeah, if you send them back, that's exactly who it'd be. That's yeah, and I mean, Fergie's not doing anything. He he's just sitting up in the in the stands at Old, at Old Trafford, looking particularly miserable. Um, and and obviously Wenger, I think, would would do it at the drop of a hat because he, the guy's just obsessed with the game. So yeah, and let them pick their own coach and staff from their ex players. So Ferguson can have say Keane and Neville. And Wenger could have Henri and fiera maybe, and they'd all be happy. They'd all be happy. Um, but I think it would be good. Like you could do, you could do things that honor the the legends of the past. You could have players where you know uh, when they come out to line up or whatever, before they reveal their North versus South jerseys, they could come out in. You know, old jerseys, um, from their, their clubs past. So any Arsenal player could come out and, you know, the 03, 04 kit, a Liverpool player could come out and whatever the, the 05 kit that we have had in Istanbul, United players could wear the 99 kit. Obviously, then they would just change out into their North versus South, but I think that could be a lot of fun. I do. I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, right. You have done, we've gone to that quite quickly, so you have done all-star teams based on form. Yeah. So why don't you give us those and we can have a chat about those then.
1: Okay, so
2: I mean it's mid-September, we've not got too much game time to go on here, so um, on the one hand that means we'll have some weird picks, and on the other hand I think that that's probably a good thing because then we have not just got Liverpool and Man City players in our team because let's face it one of those two teams has not been very good this season so they're not going to have too many players in the north inside this at this point are they Um, so we'll start with the north again my goalkeeper is still allison which i think speaks volumes as to how busy we've kept him
0: yeah i mean that is probably the most overworked man in in the north right now while everybody else is in their period of mourning of course he is probably the, the hardest working man going
2: Maybe just the people who are um, monitoring the queue, capital T, capital Q. They might be as busy.
0: That's fair. That is fair.
2: Defence: I've gone for um, Diego Dalot on the right. I don't think there are actually too many standouts in that position at the minute. Uh, in the north, at least. Centre backs: I've gone for the lesser spotted combination of John Stones and Fabian Scher. And left back is still Jao
0: Cancelo. Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I would I would agree on Deleuze and Canseo. although I think Kieran Trippius may be worth a mention because he has been quite good. Yeah, a's um, as well. I would have to rule John Stones out from my team. You're more than welcome to have him in yours. When you see a defender look as completely turned inside out as he did against Newcastle uh, I have a hard time <laughs> with that, but he was, um, he, was, he,
2: was he was particularly um, twisted on that occasion. I I don't think Diaz has been any good this year. I mean, he's been only okay no, he in hasn't. a couple of games, but he's been actively bad in a couple of them as well.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I th- I think he has looked. Uh, Diaz is a funny one because obviously he came into the league in the first season, was bizarrely picked as footballer of the year. And you had people making Van Dyke comparisons. But at the same time, I I thought he looked not average, but like not great last season. I thought he had a lot of shaky moments. I thought teams figured out that he has some weaknesses on the turn. And this season, I do think he's been flat out poor in multiple games. I, I would point to that Newcastle game. And I would also point to the Crystal Palace game, in which both him and Stones in the first half were awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see, I can see the point. It, Wolverhampton, ha, how have you done this in terms of north versus south? Have you, what have you done with the Midlands? The Midlands are all. I've, I've literally done ten and ten. So Midlands are all north. Basically, it's London and South Coast against Midlands and the North. Okay, I would then put forward the case for one of the Wolves centre-backs. Which is going to be Collins, we know that. Yeah, it's going to be Nathan yeah. Collins. He, he's, he's the finest young man the country has seen. Uh, a tremendous fella. Um, no, no, to be fair though, Max Killman, I think he's really good. And I don't understand how Tyron Mings has been getting called up to the England squad for the last 18 months, while Max Killman has been considerably better if you want a left footed center back max kilman is clearly the one to go for if you're the england manager um but yeah i'm, I'm going to go i'm going to go collins and i, I will accept fabian shar in large part because that fella can score himself a worldie just whenever <laughs> he feels like it um right what have you got in midfield for me then
2: Right, I have got a real, real charity-feel game to my midfield. I've basically got one attacker and two, uh, this season at least, workhorses. In in a previous year, this might be number 10 and number 9 and Kevin De Bruyne as a midfielder, but they're a bit different this year. Uh, so De Bruyne's in there, obviously. I've got Everton's own Alex Iwobi, and I've got Joel Linton, another Newcastle face.
0: Jolington's arc, the career arc from moving from one of the biggest flops in Premier League history to Jesus, he's a really good midfielder. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre, a- but he's a really good midfielder. Yeah. Like you would take him at Liverpool as our right sided eight. He's been excellent since Eddie Howe made the move. And I'm absolutely on board with getting him in. And I have to say, Alex Iwobi has been really impressive for Everton since Lampard dropped him back into almost that holding midfield role. And I don't know how long it can last. Like, I don't know if this is a move that's going to work in six months. But, geez, it has worked really well. And I also think Tom Davies has done... Really well this season for them. I think he's been very impressive. Um, I, I I would probably push for Gamerish over over Awobi, but I I don't have any complaints with Awobi. I do think he's been really good. The Only reason I haven't picked him out is because of injury. He's only played
2: like well three games, really. I think so.
0: Yeah, and to be fair, if you if you're picking players who've barely played. You probably just pick Thiago because Liverpool just looked like a much better team with him. Though he's only played Constantly, what is it? One, <laughs> one, 45 league. minutes or fifty minutes in the league. Yeah, so i not god done, the I've difference on the uh,
2: people who haven't been doing the footballs. So yeah, I'm that's fair. My absolute nonsense three pick there. Um, <laughs> what have you got up front? Up front, I mean, it's not going to be a surprise who's at centre forward, is it? Let's be honest. No, Erling Erling does indeed remain in the team with his. Uh, Average scoring rate of one every 82 seconds or whatever it is now. Um, on the right-hand side, I've got myself a lovely left-footer who started the season really well and is now injured, but he's played enough for this. Uh, it's Rodrigo from Leeds. Uh, he had a really, really good start for them as a nine and just off the nine as well. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure how long he's out for, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a quick one anyway. Uh, and on the... Left-hand side, I've gone for Luis Diaz. I think he's one of the few of us who can point to having had a pretty decent start. I don't think Foden's been in top form yet. Um, I don't think any of United's wide forwards have been in very good form yet. I think Rashford's been their best attacker, but he's been sporadic. I think he's been improved from him, but not not enough to be anywhere near the, the top level of this. And in general, the 10 northern sides... As I said, Midlands and above have not been sensational yet. There's been some, no. There's been some good bits, but they've not been sensational.
0: No, I mean when you look at the the bottom half of the league, you've got Newcastle, Wolves, Everton, Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest, and Leicester, all in the bottom half. So six teams compared to only four from the south. Um. I don't know that I can actually make an argument against that that three. Haaland the Haaland has no argument against I don't I think Diaz is absolutely wanting of a position. And you're right, I mean no, none of the United attackers because they're playing Oli Ball, none of them have really been able to stand out. Um Fernandez has looked much better since Cristiano got dropped, but he's a midfielder rather than attacker. Um, No one else at Liverpool warrants inclusion. St. Maxim's had, I would say, two good games and a couple of ropey ones, and he's injured. Um, None of the Wolves attackers would stand out. I mean, Neto's been hit and miss. Everton don't play with attackers. Aston Villa, it's quite tough to watch. (laughs) And there's nobody at Forest or Le- Leicester that's warranting a, a spot. So, yeah, I mean, Rodrigo, his teammate Aronson has probably been another who's done really well. Um, but he is obviously playing more as a 10 than, than sort of an attacker. So, yeah, I mean, happy enough to go with with that front three. This is going to be more interesting for me, though. What is your Southern 11?
2: This was a much more difficult one to do. I have actually kept Hugo Lloris in goal from my um, all-star all-star ones rather than form. So he is still in nets. I don't think that there's been loads who have been particularly consistent. Um, mm. Robert Sanchez is obviously there in terms of position and goals conceded. But again, I think there have been a few flappy moments from him in particular.
0: No, the, the, the howler at Old Trafford yeah, was particularly he's, bad. He's being
2: extremely well protected by a very, very good defence up till now as well. So we'll see how that goes because obviously Brighton are now a a really interesting team to watch. (laughs) I uh, did have a, a quick look at their fixtures earlier on and I can't help but feel that Graham Potter might have got out at an absolutely optimal time and obviously two matches postponed for them now and then they face Liverpool, Spurs, Brentford and Forest which is fine and then Man City and then Chelsea and then Wolves and then Arsenal. That is a really, really tough run. So fair play Mr Potter. Timing might well be exceptional there.
0: Can I ask you on Brighton? Have you watched much of Lens in the last two years in France? Not Oodles, no. Because Frank Heiss, the manager, he is apparently now the bookie's favourite to get the Brighton job. And I've seen a bunch of people getting quite excited about this idea that this guy who plays... A 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-3 three, three comes in. He's someone that I, I have seen people tout before as a potential successor to Gasparini at, at Atlanta if he ever decides to move on. Um, so he's apparently one of the, the people strongly being considered. Uh, De Zerbi is another. And um, the fellow from Bodo Glimt, Kettle Nutson. Those are apparently their top three picks. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about this guy. Now, I watched a bit of Lens, not the season gone, the season before for Loic Bade. I watched a bit last year, obviously, for I, I, I He'd be an interesting name because don't think a lot of people know him. He's, he's 51. He's only been a manager of a first team, really, at a, at a high level for the last two years. Before that, he was the B-team manager at Lens for three years. Before that, he was an assistant at uh, Laurent, and then he was with their B-team. And the last time he was a manager of a team was Union Sportif Changin, who, to my knowledge, play in like the third or fourth division in, in France. Uh, the, at the moment, they're in the fifth division in France. I think they were a little bit higher when he was there. He's just the name going round at the minute. So curious, i was just curious if you knew much about him. But anyway, sorry, I've I've disrupted your your line of thought, uh, and I do agree. Brighton have a tough, tough run of games coming up, so maybe Graham Potter did bounce at the right time. And I'm sure the big bag of money he landed on in Spur at Chelsea rather um, helped with that decision.
2: Questionably, and I absolutely think it's the right call for him to have made, by the way. Fixtures, irrespective, I do think that that's a a good time and a good place for him to go. Do you think that's the right move from them? Well, no, I I mean, we've briefly spoken about this. I think maybe just myself and Guy on the last podcast, it very, very much depends on what Chelsea do in terms of they've got to give him an opportunity to adapt to being a big club manager. That's one thing that's not... Not really spoken about, but it, think back to Brendan Rodgers like when we brought him in and yeah, it was yeah. all the idea and everything was you know fine and we were working towards it and all that. But it took him a bit of time and this happens with loads and loads of other managers who take their first big one where you have to change and adapt your in-game substitutions, for example. When and who and what kind of impact they're going to make to being at a club which are not just okay with winning once every three games or twice every four games every single match is an opportunity to take three points and that's really really big mental adjustment as much as anything else you can work to you know to your longer term plan on all the rest of it but at the same time you have to be aware that people are now expecting you to make decisions to win every single week Mm. and that will take him a bit of time and they've got to let him take that time because you can't just expect that he's suddenly going to be on board with everything
0: that needs to be done when he hasn't had that experience yet himself so you know that's the thing like He finished 10th with Brighton last year. And that was obviously a great achievement for the club. Ninth, sorry, he finished ninth, But it is worth remembering that they did go three months without a win at one point. And they also lost six in a row at another point in the season and went seven without a victory. And if either of those things happen at Chelsea, he will be fired. So you're right, he is going to have to adapt his mentality to that, that every game is must-win. But like when Rodgers came to Liverpool, he had this philosophy and this idea of how he was going to play. It didn't really work, and he had to abandon it completely. And the team that we became good with under Rodgers, with Suarez, Sturridge, Sterling, and Coutinho all in cahoots together, was completely against Brendan Rogers' ideas of how the game should be played that there was no real control with how we played, it was just like a blitzkrieg. And that's not what he came promising and, and, and touting. And I don't know if Potter I don't know if Potter would just throw the baby out with the bathwater and just go with something completely different if his preferred way of playing doesn't work. I agree. I
2: don't think that that would be the case, but I also think that there's a bit more substance to what he tries to set up than there was at the time with Rodgers. You know, we do have to remember that at that time, Rogers was not hugely experienced himself. You know, He had this idea of playing, and it worked a couple of times, and it hadn't worked a couple of times, and he was probably still forming what he wanted it to be in terms of very, very idealistic. I think Potter's probably a bit more pragmatic at times as well. Um, so, you know, there's not exact parallels to be drawn, obviously, but I think that there is probably a bit deeper, more sustainable way of playing now with what Potter's trying to do than actually what it turned out to be with Rodgers at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I for him, I hope it goes well. For Chelsea, I, I obviously hope it doesn't go well. Um, I don't think it will damage his reputation too much if he does get fired there, unless it goes spectacularly badly, because everybody gets sacked at Chelsea. It's just the culture of the club. Um But it is, it it does just, like between the fifth game of the season on September 19th when they beat Leicester 2-1, and the 32nd game of the season on the 9th of April when they beat Arsenal 2-1, Leicester only won three games in the time in between that. They beat Brentford at home, they beat an awful Everton, and they beat relega- a, a team that would be relegated in Watford. They are their only three wins. And at that point, remember, Brentford were falling apart. So like that is a horror show of a run. That at Brighton was acceptable because they, you know, they got a draw against Palace, against Arsenal, against Norwich, against Liverpool, against Newcastle against Leeds, West Ham, Southampton, Chelsea, Palace, Chelsea again and Leicester, and then Norwich again. They got those draws, and those draws meant that they were going to stay in the division. And that was fine. But like at any club with ambition of Europe or above, that is sackable to win three games in 27. You would get sacked. Um, Simple as that. Or 26 it might be. I think it's 26 games. You would get sacked. And uh, he's gonna need to to become a bit more ruthless and a bit more of a probably a bit more of a bastard as well, because he's gonna have to take a harder line with players. He's not gonna be able to allow players to play their way through bad form at Chelsea. He'll have to replace them. Um anyway, all with your all with your defence then. Let's let's hear what you've got uh in defence.
2: Right, well good news for uh man we've just been speaking about Potter. I've got one of his players at right back, Reese James again. Um, not exceptional, actually, this season. But again, I think right-back has been a bit hit and miss across the league. So I've gone with him anyway. I've gone with Zinchenko at left-back. Obviously made quite a big difference to how Arsenal played and stuff in the build-up. Um, at centre-back, I've got one you'll love and one you'll hate. Which one would you like first?
0: Give me the one I love. I'll clutch up. Yeah, uh, he has been absolutely outstanding. Mental player. Absolutely
2: superb star. I really like Southampton's partnership at the back. It is chaotic. They rely Mm. a huge amount on one versus one ability and recovery pace and the rest of it. And obviously the organisation and partnership itself is not there yet because it's brand new and they're really young. And I guess that's a big part of what... um, Galaxy has been brought in for as well,
0: which I think is a really smart signing for them. I assume that'll be a back three. Do you reckon? Belakotchad, him, and then Salisu on the left of it? Maybe, but then
2: you sort of take away one of the forwards because he's still going to keep the double pivot in midfield then. So I wonder whether he's just going to be a third one to come in and out for either one whenever they need a bit more. I don't know, old head, aggression, aerial ability, that kind of thing, all the stuff that the pretty good at, to be fair. I think he's a really good signing for them.
0: He is a really good signing. Now, it's a shame he was their backup target. Maxence-Lacroix was the top target. If they'd gotten him, if they'd had Bella, Kochak, Lacroix and Salisu, I might have moved to Southampton <laughs> and bought a season ticket just to watch those three play together. Um, Give me the one I'm going to hate. I'm very sorry in advance, but middle
2: of a back three in doing all the repellings, I think I've only seen him have one fairly poor game so far this season, Eric Dyer
0: oh Carol mm. Guy, can you draft a letter there to Eddie and tell him I resign <laughs> and uh, won't be won't be appearing on these podcasts <laughs> before oh yeah, no, to be fair to be fair he has he has actually played fairly well. Um, the the Conte system does suit him quite well. I think if you are if you are aiming to win the title, which Conte will be, maybe not this year, but next year, I think you'd have to upgrade on him. But I mean, you can get top four with Eric Dyer. We've seen that a few times, and he is playing well. But Jesus wept. That is that is a damning indictment on the caliber of centre backs currently located in Southern England. <laughs> I think the only one I would disagree with, I think I would go Walker-Peters over Rhys James, because I think Walker-Peters has been really, really good for Southampton. But I don't know that we can put two Southampton defenders in. <laughs> it
2: would be chaotic. Considering they've conceded 10 goals. Too as
0: well. You would, you would. So, yeah, I think, I think you're fair enough with Rhys James. Um, others worth mention. I think Lewis Dunk has been very good for Brighton. Um... I would say I would say Tolson has been quite good. Tim Ream has started the season well. Don't know how long that can, can continue. Uh nobody at Bournemouth is warranting a mention. Um Guahe's had a very inconsistent start. And Yoki Manderson has been good, but he's ruled out for picking on Darwin so he doesn't get in. Uh so yeah, we can live with your defense. Give me your midfield then. Right. So since I haven't got Walker Peters, your Need for more Southampton is going to be
2: well taken yes. care of here. Um, we have a current and a former saint. So
0: Romeo Labia, how, how much have you loved? Oh, it? What a player! My goodness what me! What a player! How Belgium are currently looking at a situation where the likes of De Bruyne and Hazard are going to age out of the team, but they're going to. Transition into a more physical, more powerful team with him and Amadou Onana as their midfield pairing. And they're going to absolutely monster everybody. It's not going to be fair. Like that's good. It's going to be like putting Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira next to each other in midfield.
2: Is it important for them that they stick with Roberto Martinez, move on from Roberto Martinez, or what? Because... I don't mind Martinez, I think people make a big deal out of him being great and that's wrong and being rubbish and that's equally wrong but he is always a manager who favours movement and technique over mm. you know, great athleticism through the middle of his side
0: Yeah, I mean he, he he's an okay manager, like he has things that he's good at and things that he's not good at and I think like you said, he aesthetics are probably more important to him than functionality. I don't... I, I can see this World Cup being the end of his cycle with the Belgian team because he's been there... He's been there quite a while now, hasn't he? What's he there? Is he six years in that job? Four years in that job? He's been there a while. Uh, became... Yeah, he's six years in the job. That's a long time to spend with one international team. And I do wonder if he'll look to maybe take a job, possibly back in Spain, a club job, and, you know, keep an eye on when the international job comes up there. Uh, Because I do think he likes managing it at international level, but I I do think he'll... I do think players will get bored of him as well. And like I said, with that Belgian team... It is getting to the point where a lot of the, the top players are starting to age out. I mean, you look at the defense, Toby Aldevarrell is 33, uh, Jan Vertongen is 35, and they're still crucial players for them. In midfield, Witzel is still crucial. He's 33. Hazard is 31. Um, De Bruyne is also 31. Like, you've still got the likes of Mounier knocking about. He's 31 as well. Boyata's a key squad member. He's 31. And then up front, like, Dries Mertens is 35. Lukaku's 29. Benteke's 31. The, The squad is aging out, and I don't know that he's going to want to... I don't know that he's going to want to be the one that sort of oversees the transition to the Queteliers, the, the Lavias, the Onanas, um, the the Wootface new Leicester defender. Um, I, I don't know that he'll want to do that because it they're probably going to have a, dri- a, a dip for a couple of years as those players all kind of develop and age up. And I don't know that he'd want to have the responsibility or the, the knock on his record of a couple of bad years.
2: Yeah, definitely an intriguing one. And among those names, Axel Witzel, been playing uh, centre-back in the back three for Atletico Madrid this year. So. I don't like it at all. the World Cup as I, well.
0: I don't like it at all.
2: Um, right, alongside Lavia, former Southampton, current Tottenham,
0: Pierre-Emil Heuberg. He has been good. I do think Spurs would benefit from playing Basuma with Benton though. I do think that pairing would bring better balance, but individually Heusberg has been their best midfielder. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a quandary for um for Conte as to what he does because the midfield has looked a bit stale in a couple of games. Are you playing a midfield too, is that correct? Yeah, that's the only reason McAllister's not in. Okay, I, I would I would have played a three and I would have gone with the two Brighton boys. I would have gone with McAllister and Caicedo either side of Lavia. Because I just those those two have been absolutely phenomenal this season. Like they went to Old Trafford and just dominated United. Now I know United were a bit of a mess, but it's still It's good going for them to go away from home and dominate a team like that. They dominated Newcastle. They dominated West Ham at the London Stadium. Declan Rice didn't get a kick of the ball. They dominated Leeds. They didn't play well against Fulham. And then they absolutely rinsed Leicester. Like, just rinsed them. Just took Telemans and Madison and put them in their pockets and strutted around the pitch because they owned it. It was phenomenal. So I, I'd go 4-3-3 with those two. But I'm curious to hear what you've got in the tech.
2: Yeah, I went 4 3 one The only reason, because I started with my forward for this team and I actually had three of them and I couldn't obviously pick them all. So I wanted to just try and pick two and that's how I ended up in this system. So I've got Jesus pushed out to the right wing because I think he's you know obviously got to be and He's had a really good impact on Arsenal. Got himself a few goals. Really good link-up player as well, and is just generally enjoying being a regular starter. Uh, So fair play to him for that. Sadly, I am pushing him back out into his old Man City role all the same, just so he can get in the team. Uh, Number 10, I've got Martin Odegaard, who I think has been one of the best players in the Premier League this season so far. Again, short game time in terms of, we're only six matches in, but he has been just non-stop his passing and his vision and his touch and his orchestrate and play around him has been really, really good. Again, I am going to point out that Arsenal have had one of the easiest runs of games I've ever seen in my life to go to the top of the table early on and we'll see what happens afterwards, but we are judging on what they've done so far. And the other one in the front three, or the attacking midfield three, is Pascal Gross. So Brighton do get one name in there.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, I, I... I would have left Gross out, to be honest, and I'd go with the other two. But Gross has been really good, and he's gotten big goals as well for Brighton. I agree with you on Odegaard. I think he has been really, really good. I thought when they went behind at Fulham, he was the one who stepped up and single-handedly dragged them back into that game. Um Gabriel Jesus has been good, without doubt. I, I think... He's definitely benefited from the easy schedule. It's, he's a funny player. When he was at City, he did a litany of interviews talking about how he wasn't a number nine. He was a wide forward and he wanted to play as a wide forward. And then as soon as he went to ARPS, he said, No, I'm, I've always been a striker. I've always wanted to be a striker. So I don't, I don't, don't think he knows what he is or what he wants to be. Um, Who's your um, who's your striker then? So this was,
2: I think, the hardest one to pick out of probably all the positions on both teams. You picked Danny Welbeck. I'm hanging <laughs> on. <off. laughs> it's not Welbeck. Um, I, I initially started at the top of the league, obviously, as you do, and work my way down. And it was Kane, and then it changed like four times because he's been nowhere near actually the best one. I ended up no. with
0: Ivan Tony just ahead of Mitchell yes. in the end. Yes, I would say those are the two standouts, Tony and Mitrovic. And while Mitrovic has, I think, more goals, Tony's all-round play has been absolutely incredible this season. Like, his, I said it in the summer, last season, he should have had double figures in assists with the chances he literally put on a plate for his teammates and they managed to botch them. This season, they're starting to put them away a bit more often. But he is causing havoc for every defence he goes up against. Yeah, he's been unstoppable.
2: Um, Really, really good channel work, carrying the ball, link-up play, first touch. Everything just looks really, really clicking for him. And like you say, it does help that they're... um, I think Wisser in particular has been... Well, doing things which are not in the 88th and 89th minute, which was mainly his role last season, wasn't it? If he started, he was a bit ineffective. If he came on, he was a mm. real live wire. Um, so a bit of a change in shape is probably helping as well. Sometimes I think they've been a bit more direct, similar to how they played against Liverpool last season when they just first came up, um, which has not always been the case from them throughout the last year or so in the Premier League. In general, very, very impressive start. And yeah, I think totally, like you say, just above Mitrovic based on all-round yeah. impact.
0: Yeah, and like, credit to Mitrovic. He has proven a lot of people wrong this season. Um, he, he's been really, really good. And uh, they both have been, I think, significantly better than Kane. I know Kane's got a couple of goals, but like, he scored against Wolves. He was awful. He spent the entire game in Nathan Collins' pocket and didn't get a sniff. He got one half, well, a chance for half a second and he scored. So, like, that's what you ask of your striker, but yeah, he wouldn't be in my team. Um, a couple of others I, I think would warrant to mention. I think Will Zaha has been really, really good for, for Palace. I think he's playing with a, kind of a renewed vigour again this year. Um, I think Andreas Pereira for Fulham has been pretty good too. Left-back has been a funny position. You went with Zinchenko and he has played well, but I think defensively he is quite the liability in that Arsenal team because he's been asked to cover a lot of ground. I think Rico Henry would warrant at least a mention. Um, Leandro Trussaard has been playing as a left wing back, which was quite the interesting tactical wrinkle from, um, from Potter at Brighton. But I think my, my second favorite positional change that I didn't expect and has worked after the, the Jolinton one last year. Uh, Musa Ginepo, left wing back and now left back for Southampton what are your thoughts on this because I know you like him as a player yeah, and he's just signed a new
2: uh, contract with them as well so clearly he doesn't <laughs> mind it too much um, I thought he played really well when he was at left back actually as an out and out left back before, <laughs> he was brilliant defensively really tenacious, obviously positionally there's going to be stuff to work on but in terms of direct defensive work. It did really, really well. Very diligent yeah, about he's it. Yeah, it's
0: impossible to beat 1v1. Yeah. Like. Um,
2: so that's that's obviously one to watch and see how that develops and it might just be a case if it was filling in because obviously they've had a, a few injury absences and the rest of it, but to be fair, Southampton in general are coping better than I thought they might. I thought they might well Southampton are
0: young side. Same, but they're just... They're really fun, and like they're playing with a bit of freedom, a lot of tenacity when we get into the dog days of the season and it's the slog of December january February that's where it might hurt them that they are a very young team um but I mean for now they're just they're more than holding their own like more than holding their own they've been a little bit unlucky not to have more points because they've played some really good football and they have properly put it up to teams. Now, Spurs beat them 4-1, but they did go one up there. They fought back from 2-0 down to get a, a draw against against Leeds. They came back from 1-0 down to beat Leicester, which was really impressive. I think they outplayed United and were very unlucky to lose that game. Uh, The Chelsea game, they more than deserved to win. They were really good. and, And again, came from behind. So all seven of their points, they've come from behind, which I think is very, very impressive for a young team. And the Wolves game, I think a draw probably would have been the fair result in that one. So like they probably should have, I would say, two more points at least from the United and Wolves defeats. Which would give them nine for the season, which would actually jump them a couple of spots up in the table. It would jump them to take away the goals conceded minus one. They would be, they'd be ninth. They're 12th. They'd be ninth, which it's not a huge difference, but you know, from a mentality point of view, to be top half is a lot better to be bottom than to be bottom half. Um, I do quite like your team. I do. And I think you're, I think you're right on, on most of the shouts to be fair. Um as I said, the midfield is the one area I'd probably differ. I'd probably leave Gro- uh, Pascal Gross out, play Odegaard from the right and Jesus from the left with Tony through the middle, and I'd put in the two Brighton boys in midfield. But I, you know, it's not something that I'd argue about because we're only six games into the season and obviously there's just different players popping up at different clubs and doing really, really well. This might be an interesting thing for us to revisit um, later in the year, uh, kind of do a form 11 on the season so far. So that might be something we can keep in our pocket for later in the year. But um, I think we've, I think we've done a good job here. We were obviously very much uh, aligned on most of our all-star picks. Is there anything you want to touch on or or plug before we finish up? No, we'll send this over to Todd and see if we can get ourselves a commission. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. He's, he's willing to pay. My sources tell me there's bags of money just falling all over the place at Chelsea. You live in London. Just just, just drop around and follow him for a half an hour or so. And I would say you'd probably end up picking up a million or two that will just fall out of his arse. Um, right, we'll leave it there then. And uh, we'll be back maybe early next week, maybe for two next week to fill the international break. Obviously no Liverpool games now for quite the while, which is both nice and not nice at the same time. But um, yeah, thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show.